we want to get off to a good start as Christians, right? To get off to a good start. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about expectations this morning. And when you hear the motor rev and the tires squeal, what kind of expectations does that give? That's not rhetorical. That, uh, you can, uh, I, I'm inviting you to respond. You, you, you hear the motor rev. My, uh, maybe I shouldn't go into too much detail. I, I know someone who, had, who has a nice older Corvette had the motor worked on and, and built pretty nice. And um, at one time, he could rev the motor and pop the clutch and get rubber in all four gears just down the road, down the highway, and every time shift gears, get more rubber. You know, when you, it's one thing to squeal, to, to burn rubber, squeal tires in the first gear. But when, once you get going, if you still have enough torque and enough power to burn rubber in the higher gears, that's when you know you've really got some power. So what do you expect when you see a takeoff like that? When you hear a takeoff like that? Sirens. Sirens. <laughs> yeah. That's one, a crash. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be in the car, too. I agree. Not ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, last week, I told you about uh, top fuel drag racers that would that would burn rubber like that and and they do it it's not just showboating it's intentional to give them a faster uh, time off the starting line to to change this uh, idea to think about it in terms of expectation what you expect is a a fast takeoff off the line and a quick run down the track. Top fuel drag racers, they don't go a, quarter, a full quarter mile. They have a, about, I think it's a thousand foot track. And they can make that thousand foot run in a little under four seconds. And by the time they get to the end, they're going well over 300 miles an hour. It's amazing. Um, now, this might be a little counterintuitive to you. But what I'm telling you as Christians this morning and in terms of discipleship is that this is a great illustration of having a good start. We want to have a good start as Christians. I, I hope that every, every believer, everybody that comes to, to Jesus, that, that they all have just a quick start. However... Following Jesus is not as much like a sprint as it is a marathon. 
And thinking of it in terms of revving the engine and squealing the tires might make you think that it's going to be a quick run and you're going to get to the finish line and it's going to be over. And it's going to be quick and everything is going to be fine. But that's really not the way it is. I want to talk to you this morning about the path to success and read to you a few verses from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's bow our hearts for just one more moment of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. We ask that you will help us not only to get off to a good start, but give us the understanding we need in order to persist in following you all throughout our lives. And may our lives following you be one of faithful discipleship, where our lives are oriented around you and we are consistently being shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. We're looking to you for the help that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, Jesus is talking about expectations as we enter the path to discipleship. And he gives us three things to avoid and then one in particular to follow. The first thing that he suggests that we avoid is beginning our path with no expectations. Beginning with no expectations. In other words, that is simply refusing to understand. Refusing to understand. Uh, If you look uh, at chapter 13, about halfway through verse 18, Jesus begins to give an explanation of the parable of the sower. Verse 18 and 19, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now this kind of makes it sound like he's talking about a lack of of mental capacity. In other words, we're just not smart enough to get it. We just don't understand. But really, it's not a lack of mental power that Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about is a really simply a refusal to understand, a refusal to listen, a refusal to consider. How many of you have ever read any of the Chronicles of Narnia stories by C.S. Lewis? Oh, a couple of you. Wonderful. Wonderful. So there is a, a great story uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, the, 
It's not actually the first in, in the order that it was published, but the first of the stories that uh, in, in uh, chronology. The first of the stories is called The Magician's Nephew. And that story records the account of Aslan, who is the, who is the lion and he's the type of Christ, because uh, the Chronicles of Narnia is an allegory. He is the type of Christ, and it records the, the creation of Narnia, this, this unique world where the animals talk and they have uh, the ability to reason and all of that. And uh, this part of the story is particularly interesting. Uncle Andrew, who is one of the characters from the story of the magician's nephew, somehow has found his way into Narnia by mistake, and uh, he uh, is watching as he sees this, this lion, and this lion is is singing. And in his song, he is bringing the animals, he's selecting groups of the animals to, to come forward, and he will breathe on them. And as he breathes on these animals, they turn from being dumb animals, like all the animals that we know, to, to being animals that are more human in their character traits. They, they, can, they can talk, and they have the, reason, the, the ability to reason and all of that. And Ever since the animals had first appeared, Uncle Andrew had been shrinking further and further back into the thicket where he was hiding. He watched them very hard, of course, but he wasn't really interested in seeing what they were doing, only in seeing whether they were going to make a rush at him because he was quite afraid. He was dreadfully practical, and he simply did not notice that Aslan was choosing one pair out of every kind of beasts. All he saw, or thought he saw, was a lot of dangerous, wild animals just wandering about. And he kept on wondering why the other animals did not run away from the lion. When the great moment came and the beast spoke, Uncle Andrew missed the whole point for a rather interesting reason. When the lion had first begun singing long ago, before the light had ever begun to shine, Uncle Andrew had recognized that the noise was a song, and he had disliked the song very much. It made him think and feel things he did not want to think and feel. This sounds like some Christians, not Christians, some non-Christians, some people that come under conviction, and they begin to feel and think things that they don't want to think and feel. And so they reject the voice of God speaking to them. This is a wonderful illustration of this. Uncle Andrew, he recognized that it was a song, he disliked it, and uh, he immediately began telling himself, it's only a lion. He saw that the singer was a lion, and he, he began telling himself, no, that noise cannot be coming from the lion. It's only a lion. And he tried his hardest to make believe that it was not singing and never had been singing, only roaring as any lion in a zoo might do. Of course, it can't really have been singing, he thought. I must have imagined it. I've been letting my nerves get out of order. Who ever heard of a lion singing? And the longer and more beautifully the lion sang the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. As C.S. Lewis wrote the story, he continued about this part. 
He says the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. And Uncle Andrew did. He soon could hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else, even if he had wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words. He heard only a snarl. People, we can choose to refuse to understand the voice of God if we want to. God has so orchestrated our our personalities and the way we think that He's given us free will so that He can speak to us in a way that we can recognize His voice, but if we don't want to hear Him, we don't have to. We can refuse to understand. So when Jesus is talking about this this first part, he's not talking about a lack of mental power. There's another verse of Scripture that explains this. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 16 and 17. Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Now, people, this is a wonderful truth for the Christian. It is simply this, that your will is the key to your understanding. Your will is the door to your understanding. And if you want to understand God's word, if you want to have God speak to you, if you want to be right with God, you don't have to be smart, especially You don't have to have a Bible college degree or have studied Greek or Hebrew or any of those things. The only thing you have to have is a heart that is willing to listen to what God has to say to you. And if you are willing, the door to your understanding will be opened. So the first path that he recommends we avoid is the path of refusing to understand. In other words, we can have the expectation that this is not going to go anywhere. This, I remember Sister Grace testifying not too long ago about when she first got saved, and she said she was telling her mother how wonderful it was, and her mother said something about, well, this is not going to last very long. Expectation. Expectation. Now, that's the expectation of someone else. We sometimes think we hear God's voice, God speaks to us, and we think, ah, this is not going to last. It's not going to. Don't follow the path of refusing to understand. And I'm not talking about a mental understanding, I'm talking about just a willingness to hear God. The second path that we need to avoid is that of expecting an easy path. Expecting an easy path. I had a good friend in my teenage years who we were, we were part of a group of friends that we attended Nazarene camp together and that was just kind of our time. We were all on the same district and, and one of our friends was, was perpetually, habitually backslidden. And he would get right with God every once in a while, and it would hardly ever last, and he would backslide. And I remember one of my friends telling me about him, 
that his problem was whenever he came to God for mercy and forgiveness and salvation, he expected God to make all of his problems disappear and to give him just, you know. And that's honestly, if we think about how evangelism has typically worked throughout the 20th century, especially beginning, oh, sometime in the early to mid-1900s, um, the way Christ and the gospel has been presented is, is, you know, you come to Jesus and he'll put springs on your wagon. You know, he'll give you, he'll give you peace and meaning and joy and all of that. And you know, That is a totally false understanding of the gospel. In fact, Jesus promised just the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Don't come expecting an easy path. Verse 20 and 21 of Matthew 13. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I've seen this. I've seen this right here. People come and pray and shed tears. Oh, it's wonderful. Jesus forgives me. And, and then, you know, they go out and back to their old way of living and find that they still have problems and, and life is not a bed of roses, even though if they've come to, to God through Christ, um, and they easily, quickly fall away because they were expecting something that God never promised, expecting an easy path. Throughout parts of the South, uh, these signs are very common. In fact, if you've traveled much at all east of the Mississippi, you may have seen these signs uh, on, on billboards or on barns, barn roofs. I mean, they're, they're all over. See Ruby Falls. Or sometimes it's Rock City. Rock City is another one. You say, see Rock City or see Ruby Falls. In fact, Rock City and Ruby Falls are both in close proximity to each other. They're in the area of Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, and uh, Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Um, and I remember hearing about my granddad, uh, the one that, that you all know and have met, uh, when they started traveling through the part of the country, this was in near Tennessee where, where I grew up, and when they would come to visit, this was while I was still very young, they would see these signs, all these signs, see Ruby Falls, see Ruby Falls, and, and they see, you see so many signs, you must think that, that Ruby Falls must be really something to see. And the expectation is just built up so great. And so they finally decided to go see it, and my grandfather was very disappointed. It is what it actually is, is it is an underground waterfall. But my granddad said, it's nothing but a little trickle of water with a light shining on it. And he had seen the signs and had such great expectations built up. When he finally saw it, it was, it was just, just a disappointment. And a lot of people come to God and... And especially if you tend to be of a personality or a temperament where you are easily emotionally moved, 
like me, I've lived this, people. I have lived this. I remember one particular revival meeting when I was a student at God's Bible School. And oh, it just seemed like God's presence was so near and so real. And I was, I was powerfully moved as a young person. And I had been struggling some up to that point spiritually. And during that time of revival, God was just moving in a powerful way. His presence was real. And I sought the Lord and I prayed. And, and I remember in numerous services I prayed in that uh, school revival meeting. And I remember thinking towards the end of that week, if, if, you know, if this, what God has done for me this week, if this is not enough to hold me, then I don't guess there's anything that can hold me. And it was right after that that I backslid on purpose because it didn't hold me like I thought it should. And so I said, if all that couldn't hold me, then I'm not even going to try anymore. My expectations were not what they ought to have been. I was moved, but not really changed in my heart. And I was expecting something that God never promised. Don't expect an easy path. Here's one thing that you can't expect for sure. You can expect distractions. And Jesus cautions us against being distracted from the path. Verse 22 of Matthew 13. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. There are two aspects of this. One is anxiety and one is greed. One is anxiety and one is greed. The cares of this life, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. People, the devil doesn't care how he gets us. If he can't get us one way, he'll try to get us another. And he doesn't care how he gets us as long as he gets us. And one of the ways that you can be certain, you might be the kind of person who is going to do what's right even if the sky's falling in on top of you. And I've, I've known some people like that. But what the devil will do is simply try to distract us with the busyness of life, or with the need to earn a living, or what have you. And these things are deadly to our spiritual success. I used to get in trouble in grade school because of distractions, being distracted. I remember, I think it was in fourth grade, we, uh, the school was a big, large, old, uh, looked like an in institutional type building, huge pillars on the front, and and walk up these stone steps, and my classroom was on the second floor, and there were these large windows. Now, they're probably not really as large now as they were then, but then when I was in fourth grade, it just seemed like those windows took up about the whole wall, and they were not like these beautiful stained glass windows, but they were clear, and you could look out and see the trees outside, and because we were on the second floor, you could look off into the distance, and there was a, there was a rock 
quarry off in the distance where you could see, and every once in a while they would be blasting in the rock quarry, and they were supposed to always tell us in advance when they were blasting, but sometimes they would forget, and they would blast, and it would rattle those windows, and, and oh, those, it was just wonderful to turn from your desk, in your desk, to turn your attention away from the teacher and look out the window. Sometimes you could see the playground and see other children outside. You think about what you were going to do when school, the bell finally rang and you got let out. Just distractions. So occasionally my report card would come home with notes on it. Jonathan gets distracted in class looking out the window. <coughs> Distractions. So friends, there are things to avoid as we follow the path of discipleship, following Jesus Christ. We need to remember that there will be distractions. We need to be focused, stay on the path. Stay on the path. There will be uh, times we might think in the beginning that it's going to be easy. We expect an easy path. But friends, remember, it's not an easy path to choose to be a Christian. It's, it's a difficult time. Yes, there are times of blessing. Thank God for the times of blessing. Thank God for the times of His help and His presence. But, but by and large, we are called to live for eternity. We are not called to live for the blessings and the good things that we enjoy in this life. Expectations. So what is the path that we ought to pursue as Christians? The path that we ought to follow. We find it in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So there are, there are really four parts to this. Uh, there is the part of hearing. You first hear the word. And, and really there's a, there's a lot that... He, that aspect of hearing is fraught with meaning for the Christian, for the one who would come to Christ. Because you see, it's, it, it requires more than an intellectual assent, but it requires that our, our consciences and our souls, our spirits, be awakened by the Holy Spirit to bring real conviction to bring real awareness of sin. I think it was last week I mentioned this, that there are some people who have never really been able to be saved because they've never really been lost. In other words, they've never really known that they were sinners and needed their sins forgiven. We hear, hearing leads to understanding. Understanding. You say, Pastor, does that mean that we're supposed to understand our Bibles? We're supposed to understand God? We're supposed to understand spiritual truths? No, I would simply call this conviction. The hearing that leads to the understanding. The, that understanding is the understanding that I, I need Jesus. I need a Savior. It's that kind of awareness, that kind of conviction. This leads to obedience. Obedience. 
This is the crucial moment of decision. The person who hears and understands their need for Jesus then decides. Like the song that we sing sometimes, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I'm going to, to, to repent, to confess my sins, to repent, to turn from my sins, and th- then to follow Jesus, to obey The fourth aspect of this is maybe one that you might not have thought of, but it is an aspect of time. Time. You say, Pastor, I see hearing in the Scripture, and I see understanding and obeying, but where is time? I I don't really see time. Well, you know, everyone in Jesus' day, those that he was talking to, would have been very familiar with planting and harvesting. You see, there, there were largely an agricultural community, and Jesus was talking to them in agricultural terms. He was using an agricultural illustration, a parable, talking about the parable of the sower. And everybody knew, everybody understood that there would be a period of time between the sowing of the good seed and the time that that good seed began to bring forth fruit in their lives. Say, Pastor, what are you saying? Does that mean that when we come to God for salvation, we can't know right away that we are a Christian or that we're forgiven of our sin? No, that's not what I'm saying. When you come to God, you can know by faith immediately that you have been forgiven of all your sins and that you are God's child. But what we're talking about is the fruit that demonstrates the change that has taken place in our lives. And I'm sure it's happened time and time again, over and over. People have tried to begin following God. I'm I'm thinking of some names right now, some people that I'm praying for. People that have come to God to try to begin following Him, and they and they think it's only been a few months, or it's already been a few months, and I'm not seeing any change, and 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 I'm struggling to to live this life. And when is it going to get easier for me to be a Christian? And they got the hearing, and they got the conviction, the understanding, and they obeyed the call. But they have forgotten the time element. They have forgotten to give God time to work in their hearts and lives and bring about the change that He wants to bring about in their lives. You see, we live in a microwave society, a fast food society. We, I, I heard a guy say when I go for fast food, uh, he said, I go and ask for my cheeseburger, and then I say, now where is it? In other words, he's, I'm expecting it just really quick. We want food, we go and just stick something in the microwave, and, and we don't appreciate the time that it takes to cook something really good. You know, if you want to have a really good meal, it takes more than the microwave. It takes some time to prepare and to cook. And please understand, that if you, if you cook all your meals in the microwave, I'm not throwing stones at you. That's up to you. What I'm telling you is, spiritually, that won't work. It will not work out that way. 
Jesus uses this analogy for a reason, and that is the fact that there is a time element involved. And when we come to God for salvation, we should not expect instantaneous uh, uh, results, instant spiritual maturity. And that's what a lot of people want. They, they expect to come to God to be saved. And, and sometimes I've seen it happen for the young Christian who realizes the need for a pure heart, and they come seeking entire sanctification, and they want not just a clean heart, but they want instant spiritual maturity. And it just doesn't work that way. It takes all of us, just as it has taken us time to grow up, none of us grew up overnight, it takes all of us time to grow up in Jesus. So friends, this is the path to pursue, having heard and understood the message. In other words, that moment of conviction, of realizing your need for Jesus, and then responding in obedience to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Then the time element, give God time to work in your life. And as you are giving him time, you are walking in obedience. You are learning to walk in the light, saying yes to the Lord, yes to Jesus, yes to God's word. And as you do that, over time, you will begin to see the results of a changed life. Amen. We've been talking to you for some time about this discipleship program, and I want to make these uh, available to you this morning. I needed to volunteer some people, and I meant to talk to you about this ahead of time. Um, But if I could have at least Patty, maybe, if you would be available and I see Eden up there, maybe Eden too, uh, and I'll, I'll explain why. Some of you may have seen this. My good friend Daryl Stetler uh, put these together, and um, oh, there's Marshall. Marshall can help too. Y- you're fine. You can go ahead and sit down. <laughs> um, I have 20 of these, but I can get more. So 20 of you can get one today. But if we need more than that, then I'll have to get some more, and we'll make those available to you next week. But I want everybody that would like to have one, uh, I would like for you to have one. Um, this is New Start uh, Discipleship. It is your first 50 days with Jesus, and even if you've been saved for 100 years, you could still probably make use of this. I don't think anybody here has been saved for 100 years, have you? Okay. All right. Um, What this is, is a daily uh, devotional. There are daily scripture readings. The scriptures are selected to give you an overview, a big picture overview of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible. There are places uh, for you to journal, for you to write down your thoughts, um, for you to write down uh, your prayers. 